So Matthew chapter 26 and verse 47, this is God's Word. While he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. With him was a large crowd armed with swords and clubs sent from the chief priests and the elders of the people. Now the betrayer had arranged a signal with them. The one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. So going at once to Jesus, Judas said, Greetings, Rabbi, and kissed him. Jesus replied, Friend, do what you came for. Then the men stepped forward, seized Jesus, and arrested him. And with that, one of Jesus' companions reached for his sword, drew it out, and struck the servant of the high priest, cutting off his ear. Put your sword back in its place, Jesus said to him. For all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you think I cannot call on my father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than twelve legions of angels? But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? And at that time Jesus said to the crowd, Am I leading a rebellion that you have come out with swords and clubs to capture me? Every day I sat in the temple courts teaching and you did not arrest me. But this has all taken place, that the writings of the prophets might be fulfilled. Then all the disciples deserted him and fled. Amen. And we thank God for his word to us this morning. Well, let's uh, take our Bibles and turn to that passage that we read earlier together in Matthew chapter 26, page 997, verses 47 to 56. We're going to think about that for <clears throat> a moment or two together uh, just now. don't know if you remember, but a number of years ago, we had a little marriage refresher course here. We, we uh, went through some of the, the marriage course, and uh, some of you maybe think that is my idea of absolute nightmare. I, I can't think of anything I'd rather not do, uh, but actually, it was very, very good. And, and uh, one of the things that, that you were encouraged to do was just to take a, a moment or two and to scribble down a few of the things about your other half that, uh, that you really appreciate it. And uh, perhaps uh, for some, that took longer or shorter than others, but uh, it was one of those things that we were able to do. And, and, and of course, whenever we do that, we, we begin to realize that it's very easy to, to take somebody that we know really well for granted, uh, that there are all sorts of things that we really do genuinely appreciate that we easily uh, forget. We're going to come in a moment or two to gather around the Lord's table, and it is surely true that we can so easily take the Lord Jesus Christ for granted, so many things that He is for us and does for us and is in Himself that we easily take for granted. Maybe today we find ourselves full of questions about His, his ways. Why is this happening, or why is that not happening? Maybe we don't feel his, his care and His presence as we used to. Maybe we have all sorts of queries about who He really is. And, and part of what we want to do this morning as we prepare to come to the Lord's table is to, to take stock, to, to begin to think about what it is that He does for us that we might not take Him for granted. And actually, this passage, Matthew's going to help us with this, because here we begin to see Jesus in the very final stages of His journey to the cross. And we're invited in these chapters to, 
to draw alongside, to, to watch Jesus and see what he's doing. These verses tell us of, of the very most difficult points of Jesus' life. We, we don't often get the opportunity to look at them because we, we tend at Easter time when we are looking at these parts of the Bible to, to go straight from Palm Sunday to Easter Sunday and the, the resurrection, perhaps Good Friday, uh, the cross and the resurrection. And, and we, we miss this big chunk of teaching in the middle that the Gospels give us. But what actually happens is that as the Gospels tell us these stories, the action slows down and they spend lots of time looking at these events between Palm Sunday and the cross. It's very tempting for us to, to move swiftly through them, but actually the Gospel writers are taking their time because they think that we have things that, that we need to know. There are going to be things that we see about Jesus here and who He is and what He does for us that we must come to terms with. And, and that's part of what's happening here. As we see Jesus more clearly, what is being asked of us is, is now, what are you going to do with Him? How are we going to respond to this Jesus? Well, we saw last Sunday morning that the decision to go to the cross has been made by Jesus or perhaps remade or reconfirmed by Jesus in the most powerful and intimate of occasions in the Garden of Gethsemane. Jesus, as it were, peers into the abyss that's opening up in front of him, and wonderfully he prays, my Father, if it's not possible for this cup to be taken away unless I drink it, may your will be done. That tremendous prayer. He is clear at the cost of following this path to the cross, but yet he embraces it because that's the way he's going to redeem his people, you and me. We're going to, to gather around the Lord's table shortly. The bread and remind, the wine will remind us of the cost of what Jesus does to rescue us. And this passage is part of the suffering-filled road that leads us to the cross. Because almost immediately after saying, Father, your will be done, Jesus is plunged into difficulty. He's arrested, he's tried, and he's crucified. Really just one big thing that we want to see here today, one great point, that, that though opposed, Jesus is our king. There's terrible opposition, but he is king. So, so we've got one little statement that we're going to explore a little bit uh, through this passage. Jesus reigns through, through opposition to come for us. Jesus reigns through opposition to come for us. We're going to think about the opposition first of all. Well, the opposition comes very quickly on the heels of Jesus' great prayer, doesn't it? Verse 47, while he was still speaking, Judas, one of the twelve, arrived. Jesus has introduced Judas as his betrayer in verse 46. Matthew emphasizes the, the, the awfulness of what he's going to do by describing him as one of the twelve. He, those two words should never go together, should they? One of the twelve, one of the close disciples, and yet the betrayer. Uh, and he's not come alone. There is an armed crowd. They have clubs and swords. The, the clubs were the uh, weapons of the Jewish temple guards, and the swords were the weapons of the, the Romans that were there to guard the temple. And so, so these two groups that aren't perhaps natural bedfellows are, are brought together in opposition to Jesus, Jew and Gentile, opposed to Jesus, even though he was going to lay down his life for Jew and Gentile. Now, despite the fact that there is a, a full moon at Passover, there's always a full moon at Passover time, it, Judas wants to make sure that there's no chance that Jesus can slip away into the confusion. So he has arranged a sign with this mob. Verse 48, the one I kiss is the man. Arrest him. 
Now, in that culture, in that time, a kiss was more commonly used as a greeting than it would be perhaps with us, but, but we still understand it to be a sign of loyalty and affection. And he didn't have to use that sign. It's a sign chosen to wound. There's a, a loathing of Jesus in Judas's heart now. We're going to think about Judas in a few weeks, but, but this journey that he has made is just terrible, isn't it? Beginning to follow Jesus full of hope, starting to question Jesus, then loathing Jesus and betraying Jesus. And what do his disciples do? Well, first of all, at first they come to his defense. One of the other gospels tell us that it is Peter who draws a sword, and he pulls it out, and he takes a swing at one of the, the mob. And whether this man ducks or whether Peter just misses in the darkness, he he grazes his head, and, and this man loses an ear. John tells us this man was called Malchus, and he also tells us that Jesus heals this man's ear. Uh, the fact that he is named was a, was a way of, of the Gospels really saying, uh, look, ask him yourself. He's an eyewitness. Uh, he, he, here's his name. You can look him up, as it were. The Gospels are, are verifiable by the early readers, you see. But Matthew's not really interested in the ear or in Malchus. He's, he's, he's interested in what Jesus says. He, he rebukes Peter, and he says this, put your sword back in its place, for all who draw the sword will die by the sword. Do you not think I can call on my Father, and he will at once put at my disposal more than 12 legions of angels? But how then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? So, so you see, Jesus is saying, this is not how my work is to be done. It is not by the power of the sword. Here's one of the ways in which Christianity differs from some other religions, Islam in particular. Islam believes that it can advance its cause by the power of the sword. It has the concept of jihad, holy war. It believes its teachings can be enforced by force. You, you, you might have seen clips uh, yesterday or on Friday of great crowds of, of people in Pakistan protesting at the release of Asia Bibi, this girl who has been wrongly convicted of, of blasphemy of the prophet Muhammad in Pakistan. She's been released and uh, crowds gathered to call for her hanging. And that's consistent with the teaching of Islam. It can be advanced by the sword. But that's not how it is, according to Jesus, with Christianity. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 10, 3 and 4, Though we live in the world, we do not wage war as the world does. The weapons we fight with are not the weapons of the world. On the contrary, they have the divine power to, dis to demolish strongholds. So in other words, we, we, we can widen this out and say that, that Christ's kingdom is not advanced through mere human effort. It's a spiritual work. It requires spiritual means. The Holy Spirit must be at work. It's true in our evangelism, isn't it? We don't coerce people or manipulate people into accepting Christ. We, we, that's to fight as the world does. So rather, we, we, we present Christ that's what God has given us to do. But we pray because it is a spiritual work. It's true in our own Christian growth. Mere human effort will not bring about the life that God requires. It's a spiritual work. We, we, we use the means of grace that God has given us, but we also pray, Lord, change me, form Christ in me. 
because it's a spiritual work. Mere human effort will not do it. And Jesus underlines all of that by saying to Peter, put away your sword. Well, Peter and the others have no other options. It's either fight or flight, and, and they've had a go at fighting. That's not been very successful. So, so they quickly opt for flight, and they flee. You see in verse 56, all the disciples deserted him and fled. So here is Jesus setting along this road to the cross, and the, the first thing that he encounters are betrayal, hostility, desertion. It's terrible for him. We sometimes sing, lone and friendless now, he climbs towards the hill. Well, this is, this is the beginning of it. Uh, this is part of the, the suffering, you see, that Jesus endures for us. Sometimes uh, people in, uh, down through the years of Christian history have talked about Christ's active and passive obedience. So Jesus actively obeys in that he lives the perfect life that we should live, and he gives that perfect right record to us. So, so in him, we become the righteousness of God, as Corinthians says. But there's also the passive obedience of Christ, whereby he bears the consequences of sin. He suffers. He pays its penalty. And his passive obedience is supremely on the cross, but not only on the cross. It's right through his life. He suffers for sin right through his earthly pilgrimage. And that's part of what's going on here. He suffers betrayal and hostility and desertion, and not because he has to. It's clear, isn't it, that, that he is able to bring great resources to his disposal. He can ask his father to send 12 legions of angels. Uh, scholars differ, but we think that roughly uh, a legion was about 6,000 men. So that's 72,000 angels. Now you think of that. Think of what happened at Passover, connected to the Lord's Supper. Think of what happened at Passover. One angel sweeps through Egypt, and all the firstborn in all the houses that are not covered with the blood of the Lamb, they die. One angel does that. What could you do with 72,000 angels? Well, Jesus could have chosen to have them there, but He does not. He endures, not because He doesn't have a choice, but he endures because he is coming for us. He reigns through opposition to come for us. But the other side of this is that he reigns. He reigns through opposition. He's the king, even here. And all the way through these verses and the verses that follow, it's clear that he's the king. He's not here because of the decisions or the powers of others. He's laying down his life. You see, Matthew makes that clear. Here comes my betrayer, he says in verse 46. Not just here comes Judas, as if he, 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 he could maybe make him out in the gloomy, uh, moonlit night. He knows exactly what Judas has come to do. He's the betrayer. It's clear that when Judas greets him and kisses him, that he knows what he's doing. Do what you came for, friend. He knows the heart of Judas. He's the one who has limitless power at his disposal. Do you think that the one who, who could raise the dead could be held by a mob like this with just clubs and swords? 
Jesus himself could wipe them out with a word, never mind the 70,000 angels that are just a request away. John actually emphasizes that in his gospel. He says that as Jesus is arrested, he responds to the call of the crowd, and they say they're looking for Jesus of Nazareth, and he says, I am he, that great word that speaks of his divinity. And as he says, I am he, the crowd, the mob fall back. You see, he has power in himself to step out of this path, but he does not. He knows it is part of the divine plan of salvation. How then would the Scriptures be fulfilled that say it must happen in this way? So you see, this is the king who is absolutely in control, choosing to give himself over to sinful people that he might be put to death. And he does it all out of love and compassion for sinners. Do you see how he addresses Judas, verse 50, Jesus replied, do what you came for, friend. How remarkable. There's no doubt that Judas Judas is an enemy. We're going to see that as we look at him more closely. He's an enemy who is forever lost, and yet Jesus refers to him as friend. Jesus is the friend of sinners. He's the one who, who moves towards lost people. It's an indication, isn't it, of the the love of the Lord Jesus Christ for for sinners. You know, at the beginning of his ministry, what does he do? He he queues up with people who are seeking a baptism of repentance from John the Baptist. People whose lives are saying, my life is is a mess. I need the grace of God in my life. And Jesus stands in line with him, not because his life is a mess. His life is perfect. But, but he's saying, I'm identifying with those who are sinners. And how, now here, as Judas comes to betray him, he calls him friend. Do you see that the heart of Jesus for sinners is immense? This table reminds us of that. And it moves Jesus to step towards death and to embrace the cross that he might bring us life. You know that a a few weeks ago, Memorial was uh, unveiled in High Street to Private William McFadden. He he served in the First World War, and on the 1st of July, he was in Thiepful Wood. And some grenades became separated from their safety pins. They fell into a trench that was crowded with his friends, with his soldier colleagues. And he threw himself on top of the grenades and absorbed that blast, saved his colleagues, and was awarded posthumously the Victoria Cross. It's an appropriate illustration for Remembrance Sunday, isn't it? And you see, here is Jesus seeing the destructive power of sin, the danger that would wipe out not just some people, but would take the entire cosmos into lostness. But Jesus, rather than shy away from the blast, as it were, throws himself onto it that that blast might be absorbed by him. And you see, here's the greatness of this king. He's the one who, who takes the very hostility that is directed to him, and he uses it to fulfill God's saving purposes. You see, those around him hate him. They, they betray him. The disciples desert him. Sin abounds. And he takes the very sinfulness of humanity. It's not just that he navigates a way through it, but he takes it and he bends it to his purposes. 
So he allows the, the rebellion of mankind to put him on the cross so, so that he might save mankind from his rebellion. How great is our king? You know, at the beginning of the Bible, God said that he spoke to the, the, the serpent and was speaking about the curses and the, the effects of the fall. And he said, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. You see, here at the cross, Satan thinks he has dealt Christ a deadly blow. But actually, like the serpent he is, Jesus has, has lured him in so that he might crush him underfoot and crush him entirely. You see how Jesus takes the very hostility of humankind and turns it, bends it to his purposes that he might save humankind. He passes, he presses on through opposition to come for you and for me. He reigns through opposition to come for you and for me. He takes that very opposition and presses it into his service so that he might serve us, so that he might lay down his life for his friends. So as we draw near today, as we come in worship, as we come to this table in a moment, don't we appreciate him? Appreciate seems such a weak word, doesn't it? when we think of what he does? Don't we find ourselves saying, oh Lord, here I am, I'm, I'm caught up in, in the things that are going on in, in, in my life and I, I, I think that sometimes my, my life is so fragile and, and my grasp on things so tenuous and I forget that, that you have done this for me. The, the great explosion of, of sin has, has been soaked up so that I will not face it. If you're not a believer, can, can you see this Lord Jesus coming towards you like this, pressing on through the hostility of, of people, through your own hostility, that he might come for you who else would do this? How much we must need him if he does this? Why don't we come to him today? Jesus, the one who reigns through opposition to come for us. Let's take a moment to pray together. Our Lord and our God, we cast our, our minds to these events that are described so vividly for us in the Scriptures. We see the Lord Jesus pressing through the horrendous opposition, the loneliness of betrayal and desertion, not because He has to, but because He chooses to. And we thank you that there he comes for us. Will you help us, O oh Lord, 
to take these truths, to, to live them out, that they might affect our view of our very lives, our destinies, that they might help us with the very things that, that we come into church today facing and troubled over. Lord, we recognize that our lives can be hard. We, we pray for those today who have been bereaved. We pray especially for the, the family and, and, and friends of, of Robert Irwin. Pray that you'll be near to them as they prepare for a funeral this week, as they come to terms with their sudden bereavement. We ask, Lord, that you will be near to others who, who, who find the bereavement of recent weeks and months feeling more difficult rather than more straightforward. We pray that you will help them in the days to come. We ask, Lord, for, for those who face major trials at this time, those who have had difficult news, those who are facing difficult medical issues, those whose health is under threat. Lord, we recognize that we are fragile, and we thank you that you are the King who comes for us. Lord, we take a moment and we think of what it means to, to have the Lord Jesus laying down his life for all of our sins, and we confess our sin before you, thanking you that as, as believers, if we are believers here today, then it has been paid for entirely on the cross. So, Lord, receive our thanks and hear our prayer and work in all of our lives. For we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.